this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 6. We are, are back in Mark uh, today. It's great to hear from some uh, gospel workers that were that are related to our church that were passing through uh, town and uh, we took a break for Father's Day and preached a special message related to that. We're back in our study of Mark this morning and so we are at the end of chapter 6 and we're going to begin with verse 45. We're talking today about what happens when Jesus strides into your storm. All of us go through storms in life. It's part of living life in a broken, fallen world. We're going to go through times of difficulty, times of pain. You may be in one of those periods in your life today. You may be in a storm today. If you're not today, then you will be at some point. What happens when God shows up? What happens when Jesus strides into your storm? Let's talk about that. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verse 45, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. We're mainly going to be dealing this morning, though, with verses 45 through 52. Let's look at God's Word together. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. And said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now and we begin to dig into your word, we pray that you would prepare our minds and hearts. Thanks for the way that you've already done that through just wonderful music today. And now we pray that you would help us to lock in and just rivet our attention upon your word that we might feast upon it and be nourished by it and equipped and, and challenged and, and, and perhaps comforted today as we, we look at this text. All of us deal with storms in our lives. All of us go through times of difficulty, times of of pain, times when we feel simply overwhelmed by the events of of, of life. 
when we think about what people are going through today in many parts of the world, the people in Bangladesh and, 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 and Turkey and Iraq who just been through terrorist incidents this week, we, it puts our storms in perspective. But, but still, Father, we, we, we go through times of difficulty and tribulation in this world. And we know that you have the answers. And we pray that you would give us a fresh vision of who you are today and what your word says that happens when you stride into that storm. Speak to us today now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, summer is a time for movie blockbusters. I don't get to see many movies uh, today. Very, very rarely do I, I go and see a movie, but uh, I, I probably will see the new Jason Bourne movie that's coming out this month because I've seen all the previous Bourne films with my son, so I'll probably see this one with him as well. And Caleb and I love spy thrillers and uh, action films, and, and the Bourne movies certainly have all, all of that. But these films are not just about action. If you know anything about the series of Bourne movies, they're also about amnesia. Because the plot revolves around a CIA agent who's injured in an operation and he forgets who he is. He forgets his whole identity. Amnesia. We can suffer from spiritual amnesia as well. When we, whenever we drift away from the Lord, whenever we drift into sin, essentially we're forgetting who we are. And not only are we forgetting who we are, but we're also forgetting who God is. That's part of what we see in this text. These disciples have just witnessed and been a part of this incredible miracle, but how quickly we forget God's faithfulness. How, how, how quickly we lapse into unbelief. And we're going to see all of that in this text and hopefully see some ways that, that we can deal with that by God's grace. Let's look at this text together. What, what, what do we see here? Let's talk first of all about the setting of, of this. And, and we see that beginning in verse 45. The, the word says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida after he had taken, uh, uh, after he had, while well, he dismissed the crowd. Um, so what's happening here is that immediately preceding this, there's been the feeding of these thousands of people. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. And, and so we saw in, in verses 43 and 44, immediately preceding this, Jesus has fed this crowd. And it says they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. But remember, we talked about the fact that this was 5,000 men. The crowd was probably fifteen to 20,000 people. And so with just five loaves of bread and two fish, they ate their full and there were 12 basketfuls left over on the ground. And so immediately preceding this, there's been this incredible miracle. And the disciples had been, this, been there. They were, they were a part of it. They, they witnessed it. They were part of distributing the, 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 the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And so they've just been a part of this incredible uh, miracle. And so Jesus dismisses the crowd. 
He tells the, the twelve to get into the boat and to head out into the Sea of Galilee and to cross over to the other side. At verse 46. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now again and again and again in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen this pattern of Jesus doing public ministry and then private retreat. You see this beautiful balance in the life of, of Jesus. He's out there with the crowds. He's out there with people. He's doing ministry, pouring himself out into the lives of others in ministry, in public ministry. But then, time and time again, we see him retreat. Sometimes alone, like in this case. He'll get alone with the Father just to pray. Sometimes he'll take the twelve with him. Sometimes he'll take the inner circle of the twelve, Peter, James, and John, with him. But you see this pattern continually when you read the Gospels of, of, of public ministry. But then Jesus will retreat privately for a time of, 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 re, of re, relaxation, refreshment, nourishment, prayer, just being alone with a father, being alone with a small a group of, 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 of brothers uh, as they're, they're, they're being refreshed and built up. We see that balance. And listen, we desperately need that balance in our lives as well. Some years ago, before I went to seminary, I was, I was working in a job to save money for, for grad school. And, and you know, sometimes you know, you know that somebody has brought somebody into your life at, at a certain point in time, and you, and you, know, you know it's God. And uh, let me tell you when, you, when you're on fire for Christ and you're willing to be a witness for Him, God's going to do that continually. You know, he is gonna, He's going to continually bring people into your life that, that need you to be around them. They need your love. They need to hear what you have to say because God knows you're willing to say it and you're willing to love these people. And so what He'll do is He'll bring people into your life. And so you wake up every day expecting that. On your job, at your school, uh, somebody that you're going to meet in the grocery store or the gas station or, some, or, or a, a parent that maybe your child uh, plays on a team with or is in a club with or whatever. But, but look, God will bring people into your life. Um, and, and He's put you in their life for, for a reason. And I just knew this was the case uh, with this young man. He's about my age. He had dropped out of college, and it was very obvious that his, his life had sort of run off the rails. And uh, he was kind of partying and just sort of floundering. And, um, we, but we got to be friends. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we, had, we built a friendship. And uh, it turns out this young man had been raised in a Christian family. He, he'd, he'd even gone to a, a, a Christian college and before dropping out and, and kind of kind of living the life that he was living at, at that point, and so one night we were we were talking and uh, and I, I was trying to piece together how did this happen? How how did life go so 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 awry? How, how did this guy drift so far from the Lord? I mean, he, you know, th this young man had been involved in in, in sharing his faith. He had been deeply immersed in the church and, and now was living a different kind of life. And I was just trying to put the pieces together. What happened? And so I asked him, I said, you know, if you were to kind of put it in a sentence, what do you think, 
what happened? And I'll never forget his response. He said, I just quit going back to the well. I just quit going back to the well. Let me tell you something. If, if you don't take time as a believer to get alone with the Lord, get alone with Him in prayer and in His Word, and get in a tight group, a tight relationship with other believers where you can be built up, then what's going to happen is eventually you're going to dry up. You've got to go back to the well. You know, Jesus just continually models this in his ministry. And so we, we see this just in the, the, the setting of what's happening here. So we see, the, first of all, the setting. Second, we see straining, <laughs> straining, verses 47 and 48. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now, the term here in verse 48, the, the Greek term that's translated here is making headway painfully. It, it's a graphic word. It just it means straining. That these guys are just straining with everything that they they had. Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And so there are all kinds of downdrafts and, 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 and strange weather phenomenon that, that happen there. And, uh, and sometimes in early evening, a wind will come up. The fishermen on the Sea of Galilee refer to it as a, as a sharkia, a shark, because of the intensity of the, the wind. And that's what's happening here. That the wind is just blowing against them and they are straining. I mean, picture, picture the veins popping out on their neck. Picture their arms just about to fall off because all 12 of them have been trying to, to row, but they're not making much progress. They're making headway just painfully. You ever feel like that? You feel like sometimes, you know, you're spinning your wheels. <laughs> you, you, you come across some challenge, maybe on your job or in your personal life or family life or, or, or whatever, and you feel like you're just you're straining with everything that you've got and you're not making any progress. Let me ask you, how much time have you spent praying about that? <laughs> because our tendency is to try to figure out every kind of human solution that we can and then pray. <laughs> Pray first. Ask God to move into that situation. Because I'll only tell you, when God moves, when Jesus strides into that situation, He can do more in five minutes than what we can do in five years of our straining and striving. Let's look at striding. <laughs> what happens here when, 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 when Jesus strides into this? Striding. We see it at the end of verse 48. It says, And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. Now the fourth watch of the night was between 3 and 6 a.m. And typically one of these windstorms will come up on the Sea of Galilee in early evening. <laughs> so they've been going at this for hours. They've been straining. And now Jesus comes to them. And there's a remarkable play on words here in the Greek. And the ESV 
preserves it well. It's a play on words between on the sea and on the land. It, it says in, in verse, in verse uh, 40, in, in verse 48, that he came to them walking on the sea. And if you look at the end of verse 47, it says that he was on the land. All right? On the land, on the sea. With Jesus, it doesn't matter. He has no limitations. He comes walking out on the sea like he's on the land. No limitations. Job tells us that God is able to tread the waves of the sea. He says in Job 9, 5 through 8, he speaks of God as he who removes mountains and they know it not. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Biblical scholar James Edwards says this, commenting on Job 9. God can do what humanity cannot do and can never conceive of doing. His wisdom is beyond compare. He moves mountains, shakes the earth, obscures the sun, arrays the heavens in splendor, and treads on the waves of the sea. The God described by Job is holy God, holy other. The waves are not a problem for him. And I remember in 2005 when Katrina struck New Orleans and I was serving, serving as an IMB trustee first term uh, on the board and, and uh, we were in a meeting and the, the storm had just happened and there were several trustees that were from Louisiana and some from the New Orleans area and they'd just been sharing with us about what the churches there were going through and just the, just the devastation of what what was happening and just the whole thing was just see, seemed incredibly overwhelming and I'll never forget that that prayer meeting because we we prayed for them and I remember that a pastor from Florida Ken Witten was praying and Ken prayed and he said father would you help these brothers and sisters to know that what is over their head is under your feet. And friend, that's true for you. I mean, whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever situation you face in life that seems just utterly overwhelming, completely ab above your ability to deal with, let me tell you something. What's over your head is under His feet. Jesus comes striding on top of the storm. The things that seem overwhelming to us, let me tell you, our God is on top of. Literally on top of. He's striding on top of the waves, of the storm. Look at the end of verse 48. Interesting phrase. It says, He meant to pass by them. Now many people misunderstand this. They think that it's saying that Jesus sort of meant to pass by without being seen. It's the opposite. He wants them to see Him. 
striding on the waves. He wants them to see him passing by. Because Jesus is revealing more of who he is. A couple of instances in the Old Testament where God reveals himself by passing by, most notably at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 33, Moses has a request of God in verse 18. And Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And how does God respond? Verses 20 and following. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So God reveals His glory to Moses by passing by. Jesus is revealing His glory by passing by, striding on the sea. He comes striding, and then he is assuring, assuring. Let's look at verses 49 and 50. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, literally... Jesus says, take heart, I am. I am. Now once again, we're taken back to the Old Testament. We're taken back to an incident, another incident in the life of Moses. Remember the burning bush? Moses sees this bush up on the hillside. It's burning, but it's not consumed. And he walks over. And a voice comes from this bush. Just take off your sandals. You're in holy ground. And then God speaks to him. Out of the burning bush, God says to him that he has been appointed to go and to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so Moses and God had this conversation. And God reveals himself. And we see it in in Exodus 3. Let's look at it together. This conversation between Moses and God. Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus here, again, is revealing himself as the eternal God, as the great I Am. God comes to his people as in a storm, as they're being oppressed in, Israel, in, in, in Egypt. And he says, the great I Am is greater than your slavery. Jesus is revealing himself here and he's saying, these disciples, saying to you and me in our storm that the great I am is greater than any storm that you go through. Jesus is greater. 
He's the great I am who comes to us in our storm. And listen, your greatest challenges and mine are not external. We think they are. They're not. We think that our greatest challenges in life is stuff out, out there, outside of us, circumstances. It's not. Your greatest challenge in mine is not out there. It's in here. It's our own unbelief. Uh, let me tell you, God can handle any, any external challenge, okay? It's not, it's, he's on top of that. Our greatest challenge is internal. It's unbelief. It's hardness of heart. And that's what we see next. We see hardness of heart. Verses 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now we circle back around to what just happened. Just hours before, what happened? They saw the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. They were part of it. Remember, Jesus had them distribute the loaves and fish. I mean, they were literally a part of this hours before. How quickly, how quickly we forget. How quickly we drift away from God. How qu- this just shows us how deep unbelief is in our hearts. God can come through for us again and again and again and display His faithfulness time and time again to us and we get amnesia. We forget how faithful God has been. We forget who He is. We forget this is a God who is in the miracle working business. One of the best prayers that we can pray is to ask God to soften our hearts, to trust Him so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes God uses storms to do that. Sometimes God uses storms to open the eyes of our heart and soften our hard hearts. Uh, Again, James Edwards is so spot on when he says, In storms, adversities, and defeat, human self-sufficiency is revealed for what it is, human insufficiency. When the defenses of human pride are breached, people sometimes see God's presence among them. Let's pray together. Bow your head together. Let's bow our heads together. And I just want us, I want us right now, to, uh, please don't check out. I want, you to, I want you to pay very, very close attention to what I'm about to say. Because this is a holy time when we want to seek God's presence among us. Today, would you invite the presence of God into your life? Maybe you're going through a storm today and God brought you here for a word of encouragement and assurance. Would you invite the living, almighty God into that situation. He's proven His faithfulness to you time and time again. Ultimately, He's proven His love for us. 
in the cross and the resurrection. As we continue going through the Gospel of Mark, what we're going to see is that Jesus is headed into the ultimate storm for you and me in Jerusalem. And in that storm in Jerusalem, instead of striding on top of the waves, Jesus is going to allow himself to be drowned by the waves of our sin as he sacrifices himself for us. And then he rises to overcome the grave. Listen, bind your life to the one who has done that. Bind your life to the one who loves you that much, to the one who has overcome sin and death. Bind your life to the one who's standing on top of the storm today. For some of you, that means turning to Jesus Christ and trusting Him as Savior and Lord. For some of you, it means yielding an area of your life or yielding a situation in your life completely to His hands. Friend, do it today. Father, we come to You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the fact that whenever whenever we go through storms in life, that we have one who has been there before us. We have one who has overcome. And so, Father, I pray for anyone here today that, that came into this room needing Jesus, needing a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray that, that, that you would open the eyes of their hearts and soften their heart to turn to Jesus and trust in him and follow him as their Savior and King that they would make that decision today to follow you. Father, I pray for anyone here today that that has been dealing with a specific situation that they need to yield to you. They need need to invite you into that situation and and turn it over to you. Lord, would you give them the, the grace to do that and to see you working as only you can. deal with us now we pray in Jesus name Amen as we stand together to sing if you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Christ and you want to pray with someone about that we would love to be able to do that with you if there's just a need in your life or if God's speaking to you about uh, becoming a part of this church family again we would love to minister to you in any way that we can and to pray with you you come I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday morning. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God's doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.